Welcome to Connections. I'm Colleen Hood with Mike Tom. Today's guest has helped multiple people on what's often described as the darkest days of their lives. He's a former California Highway Patrolman who has saved a number of lives on the Golden Gate Bridge. We're joined today by Kevin Briggs, and although he has retired from the force, he is still helping people. He is a mental health and suicide prevention speaker. We're going to talk to him today about his experience on the Golden Gate Bridge and why he continues to help people. You're known as the guardian of the Golden Gate Bridge. Um, tell us a little bit about how you got that nickname. Well, I worked on the Golden Gate Bridge with the Highway Patrol for quite a long time, um, speaking with folks who were contemplating suicide. And after it did so many years, Yahoo News came out and did an interview with me, and they kind of labeled me as the guardian of the Golden Gate Bridge. And to be honest with you, I'm, I'm not too hip with it. I think there's many guardians of many bridges all around. Each and every one of us is a guardian. So, you know, if it helps to get people to talk about mental health, and mental illness, then fantastic. When uh, I think people hear the Golden Gate Bridge, we just think like happy thoughts in a way, such a cool tourist destination and things like that. But obviously through your line of work, you've seen um, up close just how prevalent mental health and mental illness is. Right. And and even today in 2019, uh, there were 28 confirmed suicides off that bridge and 167 interventions. So it's still going on to this day. You know, we're losing over 48,000 people this uh, to suicide in this country alone. We have a lot of work to do. Do you remember what it was like the first time um, you ran into somebody that was thinking of taking their own life on the bridge or in your line of work? You know, I, I'm going back a lot of years, but I, I remember somewhat what she looked like. Um, young lady suffering, I think on the verge of being homeless, but I know I did about everything wrong that I could as compared to what I would do now hmm. because I, I didn't have any training. I didn't know what to say, how to approach her. So I had empathy. Of course, I didn't want her to hurt herself or get hurt in any way, but, but without the training, I didn't know what to do. So all I really relied on is my empathy and, and just being there one human for another. And she did eventually come back over the rail. But boy, I thought if I'm going to do this type of work, uh, I better get some training or at least find out how I can be better at this negotiator skill. And you ended up um, dealing with many incidents like that. Tell us a little bit more uh, about what has happened, what happened throughout your career. Right. When I was working down there prior to the tragedy in 9-11, we had one officer working down there for this whole gigantic area around the Golden Gate Bridge. And that's just part of the job, you know, is talking to folks who are suicidal. Of course, we handled the traffic accidents and thefts in the parking lot. So and it was a big area. I would handle four to six cases a month of folks who were suicidal down there. Turns out to be a lot of people. I did that for a long time. So, of course, that's no badge of honor. Boy, I just, we didn't have to talk to anybody. But that's, that's how it works, and that's what it did. Uh, after 9-11, we added officers down there. The Golden Gate Bridge District hired security guards to patrol. So now there's a lot more people down there to help out, which is good. And the officers are getting trained 
and crisis intervention training, uh, which helps a lot. So it is getting better. So obviously you're, you're helping others deal with their mental health, but something like this has also got to affect your own mental health. You know, it does. Um, that plus whatever goes on in daily life. I had testicular cancer when I was 20 years old in the Army. I lost my mom to cancer when she was 49 years old, had some head injuries and, you know, a whole gamut of things. And I suffered from depression and I really didn't even know it until I finally went to my doctor and told him what was going on with me. And he diagnosed it. And since I've been on a couple of different medications, still working on this and then some trauma when I was a young man occurred. So uh, things that I didn't believe, how can I, this guy who I was in the army, I jumped out of planes in the military and then I worked at San Quentin for a while as a correctional officer. And then I had this uh, macho job of, of a sergeant with the highway patrol on a motorcycle where we did not show weakness. And I didn't, I, I never did, but boy, did it take a toll in the form of depression on me. And it wasn't until I really wanted to get better, think that life was passing me up to where I finally was able to open my mind, my heart, and talk to people. And, and you know, I'm on this road to being better now. Uh, for people that maybe are just struggling a little bit with their mental health right now, I know one of your passions is helping people before they ever get to an edge of a bridge moment. Uh, what are some things we should be aware of in ourselves and and tips that we have that we could work on? So let's say you went out to coffee with some folks three days a week, and now you just don't have the energy to. You don't want to go out. Sometimes you don't want to leave your house. You're isolating some uh, yourself, maybe even just in a room. Some folks give away their belongings when they're getting to the point to where they may be fully in crisis and suicidal. But you just, you change of habits, and you just don't feel like doing anything. You don't even answer the phone. You don't want to answer the text that people are, are coming at you with. If you're not doing the things and you're not enjoying life as you used to, then you know what? If this goes on for two weeks, we need to start talking to someone. And that's typically the thing is we're looking at two weeks because we all have bad mental health days. But when those go on for a while, we need to look at getting some help. And 2020 is definitely a year where a lot of people are struggling with their mental health. Absolutely. And, you know, now we're getting into these things like this, like Zoom and, and all these different things, and they're doing teletherapy. So even if we can't go and see a mental health professional in person, we have these things. So, you know, it's it's not as good as seeing someone in person. It's like going out to see your friends um, and having dinner or, or drinks or whatever you may be doing. But it's something. So we do what we can. Now, in your career, there's one incident uh, on the Golden Gate Bridge that really uh, impacted you to the point that you actually have a book about the situation. Can you tell us a little bit about that story? Yes. The gentleman's name is Kevin Berthea, and I met him on what he says describes as the darkest day of his life. He was on the bridge, actually on the sidewalk. Uh, by the North Tower, I received a radio call of a man on the sidewalk holding a cell phone saying that he's going to jump. So here I am on my motorcycle. I'm on the north end of the bridge. I start working my way down. And as I near the North Tower, I see the description of him, and he's still on the cell phone. I stop about 50 feet away or so, 
And as I'm getting off of my motorcycle, he looks my direction and then jumps over this four-foot pedestrian rail. And I thought he was gone. I yelled something to him, and he reached out and caught the rail, swung around, slammed into the metal, and he landed on this little bitty pipe. Around the two towers of the Golden Gate Bridge is just a very small pipe. And he landed on that. I thought he was gone, but as he was wearing a white T-shirt, I walked up, and I can see the white T-shirt through the bars of the pedestrian rail. So I did my usual, what I've learned to do and what I, when I teach negotiations now is I raised my right hand, open hand. And I said, hi, I'm Kevin. Is it okay if I come up and talk with you for a while? Wow. And he wanted nothing to do with me, nothing at all. He was mad. He kept telling me, if you come one step closer, I'm jumping. And he was just set. He was one, just one little bit of peace before he thinks of what he's going to do, which more than likely is a jump at that point. So I just spoke with him. I stayed back, oh, 10, 15 feet. And mind you, it's getting very, very cold. There's a lot of traffic on the Golden Gate Bridge. It's windy. It's not a good place to have a negotiation. It really isn't. But this is what we have to work with. So I stayed back, and I spoke with him for a while. And he allowed me to use his first name, Kevin. So I say, Kev, I just want to come up and talk with you for a while, find out what's been going on today and why you're over the rail. Find out you know, a little more about you, man. I'm not going to touch you. I'm not going to grab you. So it was quite some time before he allowed me to come up and speak with him. And when he did, for the majority of the time, I knelt down and I was below him because I don't want to be standing on this rail looking down at him, speaking to him. I think that's what I'm doing is looking down at him. I don't want that. I want us to be even. So for the majority of the time, I was kneeling down and he was looking at me eye to eye. So we spoke for quite a while, over about an hour and a half. And he told me everything that had been going on with him. He was adopted. His birth mother gave him up. Uh, His adopted parents loved him very much, but they divorced when he was around 13 years old. And he thought he was the cause of this, that he broke up the family. And that really hit him hard. He did suffer from a mental illness and was supposed to be on some medications, but he had stopped taking them, which is a huge indicator and a huge no-no. But he had stopped taking the medication. Uh, He battled this depression and what he did to cope was to play sports. He played like six different sports. And as long as he stayed busy, he was okay. And I think that's what many of us do. As long as we stay busy, we're okay. But at night is when he really had a tough time when he would lay his head down to sleep. So he just stayed busy. And as long as he could just wear himself out and then pass out at the night in the night, he would be okay. So we got all through school And then decided to have a family. Thought my life would get better if I had a family. So he had a child. But his baby was born premature a couple of months. And now Kevin thinks, wow, what did I do to cause this? Now I caused this little baby, this little infant harm. And it really ate him up. Baby had to stay in the hospital a couple of months. And when his child was able to come home, so did a bill for around $250,000. Wow. A whole lot of money. And along with all of this going on, he just lost his job. So now he couldn't provide for his family. He thinks he caused his family harm on top of everything else. He's just had enough. He says, you know what? I'm a burden to this family. I'm no good. He's never been in the Golden Gate Bridge, lived over in Oakland. But he got directions, and and this is where we met. So during this whole time, I kept thinking, what could I do? 
And what can I use to give this guy a little ray of hope, a little ray of sunshine? Um, so I focused on his child. What can you tell me about her? What's she like? And what does she like to do? And don't you think she's going to miss you if you're gone? I, I didn't focus on, well, how could you do this to her? You know, I'm not going to focus on the negative part of that, but how do you think she's going to feel if you're gone? And do you know that if you jump, she has a greater chance of losing her life to suicide? And I knew she had a birthday coming up, too. We had talked about that. I said, Kev, don't you want to be there for a birthday? Well, brother, you can come back here anytime you want. But I know if we can get folks past the crisis that they're in, many, many times they're going to be okay. So we talked about this for a while. And then I gave him a chance to think about it. And I stepped back and gave him a couple of minutes to think. And when I walked back up, he looked up and he said, Kevin, because I want to come back over. Wow. So it's very important for me that folks want to come back over on their own because I know it takes a hell of a lot of courage to go over that rail. But can you imagine the courage it takes to come back over that rail and face everything? Tremendous amount. So I think it starts their rebirth off on a very good note. I, so when he came back over, I asked him, hey, Kev, what did I do that, that was good? What did I do that helped you? What did I do that wasn't so good? And all he told me was, you listened. You let me speak, and you listened. So my big question to folks is, why did it take this man and so many others going to tops of buildings and guns to their head and everything else before and that's we such a great listen. question. Why, Why we are we not right listening? Right. Kevin has so much more to share with us. Join us again for part two tomorrow. Until then, if you want to listen to this episode, you can do that by listening to your radio station. It's on once in the morning as well as once in the evening. You can also visit us and hear the podcast version at podcastville.ca, wherever else you get your favorite podcast. Don't forget to subscribe. We'll talk to you again on Connections.